0: So if you have been paying any attention uh, to what has been going on with nature in Maryland in the last week, then you know uh, that the main news has been about the uh, tragic and horrendous flooding that took place in Ellicott City. And many of you have probably seen those pictures and the videos on social media or the news uh, who watches the news anymore, right? You know, we get it from social media normally, but uh, you've seen those videos and those pictures of cars just being swept right down the street and the rush of the current going right down Main Street in, in Ellicott City, and as I watched, it it filled me with uh, sympathy for the people there, but also evoked uh, many memories uh, of a uh, time uh, when I was a kid, and I remember waking up at as a nine-year-old in the middle of the night to the sound of my uh, mom and my older brother uh, dragging the carpeting, the living room carpeting, up the steps uh, to get it off the, the first floor. See, the floodwaters uh, outside were had already filled our basement. Our basement was raised, the, the top part of the basement was about three feet uh, off the ground, so the floodwaters were three feet deep already and uh, and raising quickly. And so uh, I was not much help as a nine-year-old, so they didn't bother to wake me up yet. And uh, But I woke up to those sounds, and as we came downstairs and realized you know, we were carrying couch cushions, things like that, up the steps, and uh, the uh, local rescue squad decided that uh, to make a, an attempt to rescue us in a, in a motorboat, uh, seeing a, a single mom and two kids and uh, so they they came down uh, Highway 28 in North Branch, New Jersey, on a motorboat. And uh, as they got toward close to our house, uh, the current uh, of the river was flowing uh, away from our house and across the street. And, and on the other side of the street was the local Little League ball fields. And uh, they sat down. There was a hill that went down into the ball fields. And so at, at that point, the rush of the water was so strong, the current and the force of the current... Was so strong that it just took that uh, motorboat and washed it right down across the street into the ball fields, um, and so then they had to, I guess, go the long way around and uh, come back to make another attempt again. And uh, it, you know, in the second attempt, they were able to now that they knew the strength of the current, they were able to fight against uh, that that current and managed to get to our back house, to our back door of our house. And uh, I, I just remember. Uh, as a kid thinking this was so cool, all of this. You know, you don't really realize as a nine-year-old what's going on. So it's like, cool, look at that. We're going to go in a motorboat in the middle of the night. The motorboat's coming right up to our back door. And uh, as they had fought with the door to get it open against the floodwaters, the door opens and the water just came rushing into our back porch, filling it up. Flipped our uh, deep freezer upside down, dumping all the food into the floodwaters, and um, and I remember getting in the motorboat, and it was the coolest thing, because we went right across our, our, our yard in a motorboat, and we had hedges in the front of our yard, and you know we sailed right over those hedges. And uh, the the boat and the motor never touched them. We were so, the water was so deep at that point. And, and the next day, the minister of our local church was walking down our hallway with a hose, spraying the mud off the walls that were now halfway up the first floor uh, of the uh, of the uh, house uh, from all the floodwaters from the night before. Um, and you know what? I, as I Think about fighting the elements and going against the elements, I realize that uh, you know life often feels like we're in that motorboat, like you're trying to do the right thing and go to the right place and and you're going in, you're going where you think you need to be and where you're supposed to be, and yet there's this current pulling you in the wrong direction, this current of of our society that just seems to be yanking us and pulling at us and so we feel like, we have been, we're, like it's out of our control, like we're being thrown into a, a lifestyle, not of our choosing, and, and it seems like every time we try to fight the flow uh, of the current of our culture and, and society, it seems like oftentimes every one of our weaknesses is attacked, and every vulnerability gets exposed. We grow very weary trying to fight the elements. The demands of this life, the deadlines of this life, all the negative words that get spoken against us, it just seems to make us more tired. Life will drain you and discourage you and leave you just ready to give in and go with the flow rather than continue to fight against the current. You know, we often feel like a salmon that is trying to swim back upstream. And, you know, they, the salmon, they're going back upstream. What they're actually doing is salmon are just returning to their origin, to their beginning. They're, they're going back up the stream to spawn, to, to give birth to new life at the place where their life began. And, you know, I, I thought how ironic it is that we often feel like it's a fight to go against all the elements just to seemingly get back where we started from. I can only imagine what that motorboat had to go through to get back around to to the front of our house again after they got swept down uh, into the ball fields and things. And you know, sometimes it's so tiring to just feel like all we're doing is fighting just to get back where we started from again. And and, and to battle against the current, it, it does a couple of things as those salmon swim upstream. Uh, first of all, they're getting more tired because it's a harder work to go upstream than downstream. And secondly, uh, it it causes them to swim slower. If the current is going at 10 miles an hour, then you swim 20 miles an hour faster downstream than you do upstream. And if you don't understand that math, I've got an algebra for lesson for you afterwards. You can meet me in I'm a math teacher. What can I say, right? You know, some of you are now getting ready to get up and walk out the door. Uh, Like, I don't want to hear anything about algebra here at church. Um, So, some of you think that algebra is the work of the devil. And uh, so do some of my students. So, don't worry about it. I better get going. I I get myself distracted up here. But uh, anyway, listen, but what happens is because they're swimming slower and they're more tired, it, it makes them easy targets for predators. Predators like this guy here, right, who fly, who love the fact that salmon swim upstream because it makes easy fishing, easy pickings, right? This is the best time because the, if the salmon are going the other way, they're too fast, right? But now they're slow, they're tired. And, and, you know, oftentimes we find ourselves feeling like we're just a target. We're swimming upstream and we're a target for all the predators out there who want to tear us down who want to convince us to go with the flow. And so we find ourselves lulled into the comforts and the ease of going along with what society wants us to do rather than what God wants us to do. But, you know, going with the flow is just another deception because when you go with the flow, what happens is you keep picking up speed. You keep picking up speed, but guess what? You're heading faster and faster to what's at the end of the river. And what's at the end of the river? The cliff and the waterfall. Your destruction waits you at the end of the river. And so, ultimately, going along with the flow, giving in, it seems easier at the beginning. But it is just another deception that draws us closer to our own destruction. There was a man in the Bible named Daniel who understood what it meant to have to fight and battle the elements of life and the society and the culture around him just to live a godly life. But Daniel was able to battle the elements successfully. And in doing that, he would set an example for us that we can still follow today. And we're going to pick up Daniel's story that began in around 600 B.C., over 2,600 years ago. And we're going to pick that story up in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 where it says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Babylon, sorry, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So for about 20 years, starting in 605 B.C., uh, Babylon uh, attacked Israel, and they literally stole all of the Israelites. All of the Jewish people were removed from their homeland and exiled. They became strangers in a strange land. And with the by destroying the temple and stealing the artifacts, they had literally the Babylonians had literally humiliated everything about the Jewish faith and mocked the God of the Bible that they served. For the Jewish people in exile, the world that they had been forced into, it celebrated everything that they considered wrong and unclean. Their faith in God was now treasonous, and devotion to God was now literally illegal. The Jewish people were bullied into compliance by a God-hating, God-ignoring culture. We read on in verse three. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's place. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were trained they were to be trained for 3 years and after that they were to enter the king's service so basically what the king was saying is i need your young handsome smart talented men people like chevy martin here <laughs> like and, and me of course it, no, I definitely am not young. So, uh, but uh, you know, so we need to get the best of the best, right? So uh, he's gathering all these people, and you know, why did it, why did it take three years? Why did they need to train three years? Was their job that hard? No, the reason they wanted three years is this was a reprogramming, brainwashing effort. You see, they wanted to take the most talented people, pluck them away, and then retrain them. To serve Babylon and to serve the king of Babylon rather than God. They recognized it was going to take a while to reprogram, to brainwash Daniel and the, and the others. So, as you see, Daniel's life wasn't much different than ours. You know, we find ourselves thrust in a culture that values perversion, profanity. And sexual sins, you know, art is not considered cutting edge unless it's filled with profanity, movie uh, profanity, or or sexual devancy, or, or or violence against people. TV shows, movies, that's what's celebrated, is all the sins of our world. We live in a world that that teaches our young people. You're to be angry at anyone that disagrees with you. Just look at how we handle things in America. We handle things by yelling at each other, tearing each other down. There is anger out there. And this is the culture we find ourselves in. Going against everything that we are taught by the Bible to be right. And so we do feel, as Jesus followers, much like the salmon, swimming upstream, fighting to stand up for purity and righteousness in a culture that normalizes the opposite. And so it's easy to be tempted to give up the fight, to stop fighting the elements and simply give in and go with the flow. So how did Daniel respond to that temptation? Verse 8 and 9, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. You see, in spite of everything, Daniel had steeled himself in his decision to fight upstream against the elements. He had made the decision that he was not going to give in to the current, pulling him away. He understood that No matter what he did, he was never going to please all the voices of Babylon, all the people, all the predators around him. He was never going to please them. And so he made up his mind not to divert his devotion to all of those voices, to the king and to the people and to the ways of Babylon, but instead he made that decision that his devotion was going to remain with God and God alone. Daniel made the decision to, vote, to, to devote himself to an audience of one, God and God alone. So that's today's big idea. Devote yourself to an audience of one. That's how we battle against the elements. And you know, we are also surrounded by the bears of our culture and our world. The voices, the circumstances telling us to stop the fight. Just go with the flow. It's so much easier. But the truth is, the biggest obstacles we face, we create on our own. You see, we create our own obstacles when we make that decision to go with the flow. And we want to blame the situation. We want to blame the circumstances. We want to blame our parents. We want to blame our children. We want to blame our bosses. But the truth is, we make those decisions to turn in opposition to the direction God has for our life. The Bible calls those decisions that take us in the opposite direction of what God desires for us, the Bible calls that sin. And sin has the effect of separating us from God. And it sends us down with the current, going headlong, speeding towards our own eternal destruction, like a waterfall waiting at a cliff, waiting at the end. But here's the cool part. God looked down and saw that we were past the point of no return that sin had washed us down that, that flow and down that current to the place where we were headed to our own eternal destruction. He knew we didn't have the power to turn things around on our own, so what did He do? He didn't just sit back In his grace and his mercies, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth and live the perfect, sinless life. And you know what Jesus did? He took your penalty and my penalty for our sins. He took our penalty on himself and paid it for us so that we could receive God's power, God's forgiveness, and God's salvation. And so, when we just simply accept the free salvation that God offers us and ask Jesus into our life, what happens is God's spirit comes into our spirit. And we're no longer fighting against the enemy or against the elements under our own power. We're now fighting against the elements by the power of God that is within us. And so, today, Daniel is calling you and I. To stand against the current of unrighteousness that flows in our society. He is calling us to live radically and contradictory to the pattern that our culture is teaching us. Daniel refused to be bullied into compliance. Regardless of what came against him, he remained steadfast in his faith and in the disciplines that kept him devoted to that audience of one. So today we're going to explore a couple of quick lessons about how we can live this out, what it means to be devoted, how we can remain devoted to an audience of one in a culture, in a society that is encouraging us to give it up. So the first thing is this. The first lesson we learn is this. You want to be devoted to an audience of one first. You have to live for an audience of one. You see, Daniel drew a line in the sand, and that line said he would not, he refused to defile himself with all the luxuries of Babylon that were being thrown at him. They were wooing him with all of the, the palace privileges, all of the great luxuries, and all of the position and fame, but Daniel wanted to live his life in a way that would leave no question as to where his devotion laid. So we pick up the story in verse 12 of chapter 1, where Daniel is addressing the chief of staff about his decision to live God's way. And he says this to the chief of staff, Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food who are gorging themselves on the bad stuff and on the, the alcohol and all, all that other stuff that they were, you know, partying basically the whole time. It says, "...then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for ten days." At the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. Here's the thing. Daniel measured what he was risking for his devotion. But he had confidence. And his confidence, it wasn't about the food. His confidence wasn't about what he was eating His confidence was in that he believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that living a sacred life would never let him down. Daniel's confidence was in God. You see, Daniel was absolutely certain that if he stood up for God, God would show up for him. And this morning, I am supremely confident about one thing as I stand here today, and that is this, if you will stand up for God, I promise you, He will show up for you the way He did for Daniel. Let me say that again, if you will stand up for God, God will show up for you. My confidence is not in my preaching. It's not in life house. My confidence is in an all-powerful, almighty God who has promised he will have your back no matter what. When you stand up for God, he will show up for you. So how do we do that? How do we stand up and live for an audience of one in, in in our culture? Well, the principles of how you do that, they're pretty easy. Number one, stop doing the things you know you shouldn't do. It's so simple, but it's not easy. You know, if you understand what I mean by that. It's simple, but it's not easy to do sometimes. But it's a, it's a place to start. When we know we are just simply going along with the flow, the first step is to put our feet down and just stop. It's time to stop doing those things, compromising in those areas that we know we shouldn't compromise It may mean uh, giving up the temptations. Oh, people will tell you, oh, it's not that big a deal. Everybody does it. Everybody cheats a little bit. Everybody lies a little bit. You know, a little is not going to hurt you. And the temptation there is to think, hmm, how close can I get to the line before it's sin? When in reality, how we should be living is how far away from that line can I live? Stop doing the things we know we shouldn't do. It's easy to compromise. And honestly, we all find ourselves doing things that, you know, just those little things that we compromise, that we know we need to stop doing. So today, and maybe there are big things in your life that you know you're doing, and you've convinced yourself, though, that I'm still better than others. I'm still doing better than a lot of people. But the first step is, Stop doing the things you know you shouldn't do, and guess what the next step is? Start doing the things you know you're supposed to do. What does that mean? How does living it out in our society, what does that look like? Well, it means, first of all, if you're not praying, if you're not worshiping, if you're not reading God's Word, start doing those things. That's a good place to start. Okay, If you're neglecting those things, stop neglecting and start doing those things. You want to be successful in going against the elements? That's where it begins. But it's also not just about our, our private relationship with God, but how we live amongst our society. It, it means being a person of integrity even when there's consequences. Being honest even when that honesty is going to carry negative consequences for you. It means showing mercy and grace. And forgiveness, even when they don't deserve it. That's a tough one. And that's, but you know what? I don't think there's anything more that our society, that our American culture needs today. Needs an example of more than the Christians standing up and showing the way through mercy and grace and love. Instead of the anger that exists out there, let's respond to anger with mercy Let's respond to hatred with love. We need to be on the cutting edge of forgiving even when people don't deserve it. You want to blow somebody's mind? Yeah. Offer them mercy when they know they've got it coming. I don't mean they've got mercy coming. I know like when you know you've messed up and you got the consequences coming. Yeah. Offer them mercy instead. You want to blow somebody's mind? That's how you do it. And the other thing Daniel did that we can learn is he didn't do it alone. He convinced friends to come along with him. It's called community. It's the whole reason we have weekend services. It's the whole reason of life groups. Okay, If you're not in a life group, get in the life group. We're supposed to help each other. You're not supposed to go it alone. It is so much harder when you're going it alone. But God didn't create us to go it alone. He meant for us to go side by side. He meant for me to lift you up when you need lifted up. And for you to lift me up when I'm the one that needs lifted up. Because let me guarantee you something. Every one of us faces those situations where we are the ones that need lifted up. Verse 19 and 20 says this. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and, about, and understanding about which the king questioned them, here's the cool part, he found them ten times better. If you stand up for God, he's got your back. He will show up for you. you we live for an audience of one. The second lesson we learn from Daniel is to be loyal to an audience of one. So years down the road, there's a new king, King Darius, and Daniel has become King Darius's go-to man. He's the one that he goes to for counsel when he needs it. He is Darius' right-hand man. But you know what? That didn't sit too well with the Babylonians who'd been there their whole life. They'd been there serving kings for, for decades. Didn't sit very well with them, and they were they, they were out to get Daniel because they didn't like it. And so they were plotting, literally plotting for Daniel's destruction. They were the bears out there, the predators out there waiting to attack. And so we are fast forwarded to Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, where they are plotting and they are saying this, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Here's, this is so cool. What is cool about this, not that they're plotting against Daniel, but what is cool is Daniel had such incredible devotion to God that the, even his enemies knew that Daniel would obey God's law over anything else. His life had shown so strongly that they knew Daniel would stay loyal to God no matter what. So they went to the king and they schmoozed him a little bit. Oh, king, you are awesome. You're great. You're the best king ever. You know what? You're so incredible. We even pray to you. We don't even pray to God, those gods in the temple anymore, cuz you're even greater than those gods. We pray to you. You know what, king? We've got an idea. Like it just came off the spur of the moment, but they'd been plotting. Yeah, you know, I know, king. Let's do this. Let's pass a law and it says everybody has to pray to you because you are the greatest ever. And the king being human The king's head grew three sizes that day. Kind of like the Grinch's heart, you know. Yeah, don't act like your head's never grown three sizes. Mine head is so big, it doesn't have much room to grow sometimes. I better get on with my message, though. (laughs) But here's the deal. The king easily gave in. Because, yeah, this sounds great. So they passed a law that said, anybody that does not pray to the king will be thrown into the den of lions by the way if you don't know the rest of the story go home and read chapter 6 of daniel i'm going to read two more verses right now though no, it says this 10 and 11 this is daniel's reaction when he hears the law is passed it says now when daniel learned that the decree had been published he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Here it is, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and caught him, which they knew they would. They found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Here's the deal. After learning that the law had been issued, Daniel could have given in. He could have just decided to hide his devotion to God, or he could have decided to give it up because he was afraid of what, what, could, what punishment he might face. But instead, Daniel remained loyal to God. And here's the deal, loyalty, loyalty doesn't matter when things are going well. Everyone's loyal when things are good. Loyalty, true loyalty, shows up when the chips are down, okay? Loyalty to an audience of one is simply this. It's living for an audience of one in the face of adversity. So being loyal to God, it means we live for God even when it isn't easy. That's what being loyal to an audience of one means. And you know what? Adversity is going to come to every one of our lives. And adversity is going to look different to every single one of us. Sometimes adversity comes in the form of a difficult time at work or a job loss or a financial crisis. Sometimes it comes in the form of the diagnosis for a loved one or for ourselves that we weren't prepared for. Sometimes it comes in the form of deep personal loss. Adversity can look different to every one of us, but here's what I know. Here's what I know. If you will stand up for God in the face of adversity, he will show up for you. So this morning, in a few moments, we're going to worship together. And as we do, I want that wor- this worship time to be our time to communicate with God, to pray, to, to let God speak to us and let us speak to God. And here's here's how I want you to, to open your hearts to. First of all, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him. I said earlier, it's, it's very simple. God made this as easy as possible. If you want Jesus in your life and he's not there, all you got to do is let God know, God, I need you in my life. That's it. He's not impressed with fancy prayers. He's not impressed with eloquent speeches. He's only impressed with a heart that recognizes it needs him. And so just let him know in your own words, in your own way, and I promise you he will show up. And so today also, if you're facing adversity in your life, maybe you've been fighting the elements, but you just feel like it's gotten so hard. You're just not sure you can keep the fight up. I want to encourage you. Let God, let God know that. Turn it over to him. And also our prayer team is down front for the remainder of the service. They would love the opportunity to pray with you. That's the community aspect. Don't keep going it alone. And for all of us, I'm going to ask you to stand right now with us. And for all of us this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit bold and courageous. I'm going to ask you to be willing this morning to ask God these questions. God, what am I doing that is just going along with the flow that I need to stop doing in my life right now? Or maybe it's God, what am I not doing that I need to start doing to battle those elements? You know, those aren't easy prayers to pray because God will answer them. And sometimes he points out things we don't want him to. But if we're going to be successful in battling the elements, we need to let God in. And here's what I know. If you will stand up for God right now, he will show up for you.